If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalms 15, 1 through 5. O Lord, shall we, I'm sorry, O Lord, who shall we sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speak truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. He who eyes a vile person, a vile person and despise, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money and interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Our New Testament reading is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thorns or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once was alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in this faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was being proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which Paul became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Morning. Please join me in prayer for the word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, bow before you, Lord, with humble hearts because we, Lord, love you. We come before you now to hear your word because we love you, Lord. Lord, open our hearts, open our ears to hear. Help us to understand, Lord, what you speak to us. Father, remind us that nobody here. This morning is here to listen to Joshua. Everybody here is here to listen to you, Jehovah God Almighty. Speak to us, Lord, that we as your people may live according to your word and glorify your name. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
This morning, we're talking about the sufficiency and the sovereignty of God and what that means in our lives. I think many times we struggle as Christians and we lose sight of Christ and we turn away from him and we fall into temptation and we do many things and we are just talking about before in the time of confession and the assurance of forgiveness about how at the same time we're sinners but we are also called righteous before God. The reason why we seem to turn away from God, lose sight of Christ, it's not because we forget who he is, literally, but that there are so many things in our lives, so many areas of our lives that try to occupy our thoughts, occupy us, our desires, things in our heart. They're fighting for those things, that place in our lives. It is so simple, yet we must always be reminded of the truth of Jesus Christ. Every day, we need to be reminded of this truth, reminded of who he is, reminded of what he has done for us, this truth, this gospel truth. We have to remind ourselves this truth. Otherwise, all of the lies, right, all of the things that are false, all the things around us in our lives will penetrate into our hearts and our minds. This is a premise and the emphasis that Paul makes in today's New Testament passage that we read today. He commends the Colossian Christians, right? The Christians at Colossae. He commends them. He thanks God for the faith that God has given to them and that they persevere. But as soon after he gives thanks in his letter, he starts to go on this beautiful uh, Christological rant about who Jesus Christ is. And we can see why Paul does this in the next chapter, in chapter 2. In verses 4 and 8, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, as strong as these Christians were in Colossae, as, as, as faithful as they were to God, he knew that we as human beings are fickle. We are so capricious. If we don't have a firm foundation of who Christ is, a firm foundation of the gospel, then it's easy for us to be swayed to and fro. It's easy for us to be influenced by other philosophies, other teachings, false doctrines. We see this in our government. We see it in politics. We see it in the community around us. We see it with our friends and our family. One day we have an opinion about something, and the next day we change our opinion. We say, oh, well, you know, I have a different opinion now. And we go to and fro. We go from here and there. And Paul exhorts the Colossian Christians, as he does to us today, that we must have a firm grip of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. When we wake up in the morning, if we choose Cheerios one day to eat for cereal, and the next day we choose cornflakes, and then the next day we choose Captain Crunch, it's okay. Because those things don't have an eternal consequence in our lives maybe a little bit right maybe one has more sugar in it or whatever maybe you'll get higher cholesterol i don't know maybe a little bit right 
But what Paul is saying is, if you stray away from the gospel, if you stray away from the foundation of who Jesus is, that will have eternal consequence. And so he exhorts the Christians here in this letter as he does to us today. It's easy for us to fall away. So easy. And we see that throughout history. We see that in the early church where there were battles and struggles, so much, so much heresy within the church. And if we look throughout history, these heresies didn't come from the outside. They didn't come from people who are non-Christian or people who hated Jesus or from the Roman government or places like this. These heresies came from within the church. They came from priests within the church. They came from people within the church who did not have a firm foundation about who Jesus Christ was. In the early 4th century, a Christian priest named Arius proposed a doctrine that seemed so innocent, harmless. His doctrine said that Jesus Christ had to be human. Okay, all right, where are you going with this? Well, he said that not only was Jesus Christ human, human, but he couldn't be God because he was human, because he was finite, because he was created, right? He was born of a virgin, because he was not self-existent, that he could not be God. Even though, even though the core principle of our faith is that Jesus Christ is God, that He is 100% man, but he is 100% God. This hypostatic union, that is a a core foundation of our faith. For if Christ is not God, then he cannot be our savior. He cannot die a perfect, he cannot live a perfect life. He cannot die a perfect death. He cannot atone our sins. He cannot be our savior. And this core principle, right, this foundation, this, this simple foundational principle of our faith Arius denied, and so in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, he was condemned a heretic. Arius, was he that much worse than us? Was it because he is such a bad person, right? He hated God? No, he was a Christian priest. He was an evangelist, someone who spread the gospel message, just like us. What was the, the issue? What was the problem? Is the issue that Paul is dealing with today in, in Colossians 1. It was that he didn't have an understanding about who Jesus Christ was, a firm foundational understanding. And he wasn't repeating that truth to himself every day, who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And so it caused him to stray away from the gospel. So then who is Jesus Christ? After giving thanks to the Lord, Paul immediately turns and tells the the Colossian Christians who Jesus Christ is. In verses 15 through 20, he gives this beautiful, it's a hymn, it's a beautiful hymn about who Jesus Christ is, the Savior. In verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And you can get thrown off right here. If you don't have a firm foundational understanding of who Jesus Christ is, you can read this verse and say, what? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so what Paul is saying is that he's the firstborn of all creation, right? And so then he must have been created. He must, right, he must not be God, 
right? And then we start going into this rabbit hole. If you don't, if you don't read the rest of the Bible that says that even in the Old Testament, the prophets who say that the Messiah will be born of a virgin, he'll be a man, he'll die, right? All these in the New Testament, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't have these foundational understandings about who Jesus Christ is, you'll read verse 15 and you'll say, oh, he must have been, he must have been created. But that's not what Paul is saying, is he? The emphasis that Paul is making here is not that Jesus Christ was only a man and he was created, but the emphasis Paul is making here is that not only is Jesus a man, but he is also God. The emphasis he is saying here is he is the image of the invisible God. And, and as soon as you think about the image of God, you go back to Genesis, right, where God created man and he creates man and he says, man, this is really good. And not only does he say it's really good, but he says that I will make man, what? To bear my image. And so we are the image bearers of God, right? We have the imago Dei. And so that is why, right, we say we are image bearers. But God, he created us after his own image. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. We are not the image of God in the, in the sense that we cannot be the image of God because we are still sinners. We are creation. We cannot hold all that God is. But as Paul says later in verse 15, he says, not only is Christ the image of the invisible God, but he is the fullness of God. How can Christ be the perfect image of God and the fullness of God if he is not God. Paul is not saying that Jesus was created when he says that he is the firstborn of all creation. Since Jesus is God, he is eternal, he is infinite, he has no beginning because he is the beginning. And so Paul further elaborates in verses 16 through 19. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I want you to keep your mind on that because there's so much to talk about. There's a lot to unpack in these passages, but unless you guys want to stay here for a couple hours I could only do one, right? So keep that in your mind. In him all things hold together. And verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It is only possible to create all things, everything, Invisible, visible, right? The authorities, the principalities, the powers, the thrones, everything, the kingdoms. It is only possible to create all things and be preeminent of all things and be before all things. How? If he is God. If he, he is the creator. He is not creation. It is only possible that he created all things through himself and for himself. 
because he is God. All creation, everything has been created to what? Glorify God. John says it well in the first chapter of the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And he didn't stop there. He didn't say he's just, he's with God, but he said the word was God. Jesus is God. And we notice the emphasis on all, all things. All things. He is before all things. He has created all things. All things are held together by him. That he may be preeminent before all things. Now, of course, this is not new. I hope it's not new information, right? This is not new information for you. You know all of this. But the reason why Paul emphasized it and the reason why I emphasize it this morning is because we tend to forget that Jesus is over all things, that Jesus is God, that he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He wasn't just some guy 2,000 years ago that lived a good life. But he lives and reigns and is king even today over all things because he is God. We have to live every day as if Jesus is God. We pray to the Father because Jesus has atoned for our sins and he is God. Why do we fall away each day? Why do we fall into temptation? Why are we prone to turning away from God? Not because we forget who Jesus is up here. Not because we don't have the knowledge of who Jesus is, but it's because we forget that he is sovereign over all. He is God and that he is sufficient. And one of the great things uh, about being able to be a part of the order of worship every week is that I get to put in little Easter eggs every week. I don't know if you know what Easter eggs are. Easter eggs, like when you see a movie or a show or something, it's where the director or the writer or someone puts in subtle hints of things, you know, like that connect things together. And you won't notice unless you really, really zoom in and you really look at it. Every week I put in little Easter egg hints in the order of worship to make everything connect together with the word and with the songs and with the times of confession and the scripture and all these things. Why do we fall away? It's because we, we forget that God is sovereign and sufficient. Su sufficient, enough, more than enough. Kind of like the song we sang today, this morning. Your grace is enough. We forget. So verses 20 to 22. Through him the, th and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So... He is sufficient, right? So there's two points, right? I'm, I'm a bad Presbyterian preacher. I only do two points. 
The first point is that he is sufficient, so we don't have to add anything else in our lives. The second point is he is sufficient, and so we can rest in his sufficiency, in his sovereignty. And I'm just going to rule real quick because I already took too much time. The first point, he is sufficient, and so that means we don't have to add anything else in our lives. The reason Paul is so adamant about telling the Christians in Colossae about who Jesus is is not because he hasn't told them before. It's not because they don't know who Jesus is. It's because they keep trying to add other things. It's because these false teachers come with these false doctrines and they say, all right, well, you need Jesus. Yeah, believe in Jesus, but also you need to follow these ceremonial rituals. You need to be circumcised. You need to have a higher knowledge, right? Gnosticism was creeping into the church at this time. Oh, Jesus is not enough, right? You have to have a higher wisdom. You need to have a higher knowledge. And Paul is saying, is Christ not enough? Is Christ not sufficient? Is the creator of the universe not sufficient? And Paul, he is, he is almost shouting out of these pages of the letter. He's saying, Christ is sufficient. You don't need to add anything else. You don't, you don't need to add anything to the gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, right, he's admonishing the Galatians again. Why? It's the same thing. They're quick to turn away and, and try to add something. Christ is not sufficient. It's not because they don't know who Christ is. Let's read in verses 6 through 9. Paul says, I am astounded that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So brothers and sisters, the message this morning is not Christ is sufficient, so now go out and do better. The message this morning is not, Christ is sufficient, so go and make a lot of money because God wants to bless you and he wants you to have a lot of money in a big house, in a nice car. He wants you to live in luxury because we are the children of God. The message this morning is, Christ is enough. So go back into your lives and repeat that to yourselves every day when you're at your job. When you're with your family, when you're with your friends, when you look at your house, or maybe you don't have a house. When, the, when you look at the things you have or the things you don't have, you say, Christ is enough for me. Right? Being a Christian isn't complicated. It's simple. And we shouldn't try to make it more complicated than it is. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. And when we are filled with that knowledge and given that faith, we believe in him. And Jesus is sufficient because he's the one that did all the work. He's the one that's given us our lives. He's the one that created us. He's the one that has us in the palm of his hands. Hebrews 1.3 teaches us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
And so John Calvin, he comments on the passage that we read today, Colossians 1.15. He says, in Christ, he, God, shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. We must, therefore, beware of seeking him elsewhere. For everything that would set itself off as a representation of God apart from Christ will be an idol. Again, we fall away, not because we forget who Christ is, but because we forget that he is enough for me. He's more than enough for me. Paul reminds us that it is through Christ that he holds everything together, that he is sovereign. Again, I think the reason why we're searching so much in our lives for other things, searching for uh, joy or hope or peace or whatever it may be in our lives is because we forget he holds everything together. Everything together. Creation, time, right? Time, even time. Christ is not, he is not confined to time. He surpasses time, right? Everything, time, space, matter, the heavens and the earth, everything visible, everything invisible. Everything is held together and sustained by Jesus Christ. So then why, why do I worry so much right, about my life? Right? Why do we try to get ahead of God and, and think that we know more than God in our lives? Why do we worry? Why do we, why do we try to look for other things to, thinking that we can find something greater than Christ. Christ, just thinking about, he, you know, meditating about this, you know, I, I thought, Jesus, whole, everything is held together by Jesus. So that means the hundreds of billions, probably trillions of stars, right, that, that we can see and stars that we can't see in these many galaxies and whatever the universe we have, all these billions of stars that we have absolutely no control over, they are held together because of Jesus, right? All these billions and trillions of stars. Just to, in transparency, I've been trying to get healthy and and you know, retain my weight and, and lose a little bit of weight. I started to gain a lot of weight last year. And so, I'm, you know, it was a pandemic and I'm not doing anything and eating a lot of junk food and things like that. So I wanted to be a good steward of my body. So I started to exercise, start to diet, eat well. I can't even sustain my own weight, okay? <laughs> Just in all honesty, all right? It's very, very difficult. But for some reason... I think that I can control my life. I can control my future. That I know better than a sovereign God. And it's because I forget that He is sufficient for me. He is more than enough. I don't need anything else. I don't need. It's, I just need to remind myself He is sufficient for me. And so His sufficiency and sovereignty is our hope, it becomes our peace when we go through hardships and trials. When we're going through hard times, we can rest assured knowing that everything is in his hands, that he holds everything 
together. And so F.F. Bruce, he comments, For those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. They know that their Redeemer is also creator, ruler, and goal of all. And so church, let us be stable and steadfast. Let us not be shaken like the song we sang this morning. I will not be shaken. Let us be steadfast in our faith. Why are we trying to look for something or someone else that is insufficient? Why put your hope in something that will always fail? We as Christians are always able to have peace. We're supposed to always be able to have peace. We're supposed to always be able to have hope and joy. Not because of something in my life that went well or something that I got or whatever it is. But we are supposed to have these things because we have been saved by Jesus Christ. So we are exhorted by Paul and the final verse of today's New Testament passage. To continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. How do we do this? It's simple, yet so difficult. And it is what we are reminded of this morning. We do this by constantly reminding ourselves, constantly meditating upon who Jesus Christ is. And knowing and believing with all of our heart that because he is sovereign, because he has brought to us salvation and reconciled us to himself, that he is sufficient. Sufficient in my life. Sufficient for our church. Sufficient in our community. Sufficient in our world. No matter how broken it looks. No matter how broken my life looks. That Jesus is sufficient, no matter what is happening in my life, no matter what's happening in my church, no matter what's happening in my family, in my community, or in this world, we continue in faith to be stable and steadfast and not to shift from the hope of the gospel. And Because of Jesus Christ, we can answer the psalmist this morning, Psalm 15. The psalmist asks, O Lord, Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? We, we who know Jesus Christ, we who have been saved by Jesus Christ, we who confess that he is sufficient for us, we, he has called, will sojourn in his tent forever. We whom he has called will dwell forever on his holy hill forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our, our God, our sovereign Lord and King, this morning we are reminded that you are sufficient. In every single area of our lives, you are sufficient because, Lord, you are the King and the Lord of every single area of our lives, of everything in this world, of all things. So Lord, let us be reminded of this truth, this truth of the gospel, 
this truth of who you are. Let us be reminded of this truth every single day that we might live in a manner that is worthy of the calling you have given us, that we might glorify you every single day. We thank you, Lord. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. stand and join our voices responding with Jesus the very thought of thee